the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Music provided by the 48th Highlanders of Canada. Today's guest, Captain Slade Lurch, CD, former regimental major of the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. I normally summarize it by saying I have 27 years service to the Queen, of which eight are in the reserves. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. This is my New Year's Eve episode of the Canadian Military History Podcast, and today is the conclusion of 2014. So there is a bit of housekeeping that I'm going to take care of before we get to the guest for today's show. First of all, a very important housekeeping I have to take care of. I want to acknowledge a generous donation from Menser Zmajli of Burlington, Ontario, who has sent a very generous donation to the podcast and decided he wanted to help out. Thank you very much, Menser. I really appreciate the donation. Any donation, large or small, goes directly into supporting the show. And this donation went directly into buying a new Skype recorder. My previous program, PowerGrammo, has stopped interfacing with Skype and prohibits me from making any new recordings. And I did call a future guest, and I had to tell them that my recording software had been terminated for some strange reason, and I had to shop around for a new recording software. So I'll be giving the new software a go so we can see how that works out. Hopefully it works out seamlessly for you as the listener and won't make much of a difference at all. Now, speaking about 2014 coming to an end, I want to cover off a few of the site stats that were reported to me for 2014. So this overlaps the end of Season 1 and the start of Season 2, but nevertheless, it's interesting anyways. So... I had 6,900 views in 2014. This is through the website, not necessarily through iTunes. I'm having trouble discovering how to track stats on iTunes, and any advice is greatly appreciated on that. You can reach me at mikelacroixcmhp at gmail.com if you have any advice or tips on how to track stats as far as iTunes is concerned. I'm very curious about how I'm doing on iTunes. But nevertheless, through the website, my website was viewed 6,900 times in 2014. The busiest day of 2014 was April 6th with 168 views. And the post from that day was episode 21 with the commander of the Canadian Army, Lieutenant General Haynes. So there have been 53 posts in total on the Canadian Military History Podcast, and 34 of those were new in 2014. I guess 35 would be including this one. The best day, it says, was Sunday with 19 posts, but that's typically because I post on Sunday, so that really doesn't demonstrate very much. But anyhow, now the most viewed post was Brigadier General Rob Roy McKenzie, followed by Colonel Jordy Elms, and then the third place was General Marquis Haynes, the commander of the Canadian Army. Rounding up the top four would be Lieutenant Ryerson Maybe of the Queen's York Rangers. This is interesting. How do people get to the page? How do people get to the Canadian Military History Podcast webpage? So the number one route is through Facebook, and I do put a lot of effort into posting on Facebook and linking to the show. And then the second method is through the webpage itself, Canadian militaryhistorypodcast.ca. So you visit the webpage and then there's a link that goes to where the episodes are posted. The website has been accessed by 66 countries or people in 66 countries and clearly the majority of the visitors in 2014 were from Canada followed by the United States and the UK in that order. 
So it's interesting to see how many people all over the world are listening, or at least visiting the webpage. So I am very proud of the achievements in 2014, and I'm looking forward to more in 2015, especially as we wrap up Season 2 here. That being said, I do have a lot of attraction efforts that have gone out to attract new guests to the show, and I'm still waiting on some people to get back to me with a yes or a no. However, in the bank, I have only one recording in the bank so far, so I need to get my attraction efforts into high gear so I can get some recordings done and get some guests out for you to listen to. Today's guest is Slade Lurch from the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. He's an infantry officer, but he's not only served in the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, he's also served in the Canadian Airborne Regiment, the Canadian Scottish Regiment, and the Seaforth Highlanders. He has served as an NCM and as a commissioned officer. There's two things that he mentions during the episode that I will introduce to people who are probably not familiar with the Canadian forces or probably new to the military traditions and customs. The first concept is the concept of while so employed, or WSE. What that means is a person who is qualified to hold a rank in the Army or Navy, Air Force, same thing. However, there's no actual position for them to be promoted to, but there's a job that's open in that rank. That person can be promoted while so employed in that position to that rank that is required for them to do that job. Then at the conclusion of that job or that task, they revert back to their previous rank in waiting for a position on an establishment to fill in that new rank. So when I introduce Slade as the regimental major of the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, he was substantively a captain. However, while he was employed in that role, he wore the rank of major and earned the pay of major. The other concept is ERE, or extra regimentally employed. This can happen to people in any type of service, typically in the army and typically within our regiments. And that would mean that while a person is employed within their trade or within their occupation or as a soldier, they would be working outside of their own unit lines. And that would mean that they were extra regimentally employed. And there are people assigned to make sure that they don't get lost in the shuffle. Extra regimentally employed just simply means that you still wear the badge of your home unit. You still belong to that unit, but you're working elsewhere. It's very common in the reserves. We have people who work within our units as unit support staff and their regular force members. They work within each unit to help out and to be the representative there. We also have people working in schools and in headquarters who are working extra regimentally, so they're working outside of their own unit. Now, Slade was very fortunate to be appointed as the regimental major of the PPCLI during their 100th anniversary celebration. And in that role, he had a lot of privileges, such as escorting the colonel-in-chief of the regiment. Here's my interview with Captain Slade Lurch. Captain Lurch, welcome to the podcast. Oh, good morning. Thank you very much. You and I have never met, but we have a mutual friend, Greg Briggs, and you were key in getting me permission to use the music of the PPCLI on my show, and I can honestly tell you that the show would not be the same without that music. Well, thanks very much. I was real happy to be able to sort that out and get that music out there. When I was regimental major, I was certainly happy to do what I can to showcase the regiment, whether it's audio, visual, or just general interest. So, you know, this is, I think, a great vehicle to get our regimental march out there. Absolutely. And it's all timely with your 100th anniversary as well. Yeah, yeah, it was. I guess we're kind of wrapping that one up right now. We had a fantastic commemoration in Edmonton from the 7th to the 10th of August with just a lack of events going on. And I tell you, that was a great opportunity for the regiment. I started out as a rifleman at the 75th 
at the trooping there in Calgary. Wow. So to, to be a rifleman there and bounce ahead, fast forward to the RM for the 100th is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they had the extensive Ottawa commemoration as well, linked by the Memorial Baton Relay, which is pretty cool, run by our 2nd Battalion. So we're just moving ahead, and I think that the final commemoration will be in Friesenburg in May 2015, which is going to be another pretty interesting event. Absolutely. I sent you the questions in advance. Are you all set to go? I think I am. Excellent. So why did you choose to join the Canadian Armed Forces? When I was a kid, to be frank, the Army always, always cool to me. Some of my earliest memories are of playing with little plastic army men. As a matter of fact, one of my earliest memories is stealing a couple plastic army men from my cousin. And from there, it grew to what I recall now, several thousand little plastic army men. And for many years, all I wanted for my birthday or Christmas, just another bag or box of you know, 135 or 132 scale plastic army men. And that is all I wanted. I have no, we have no tradition of military service in my family. Both my grandfathers served in World War II. Neither one of them had a good experience. So the flavor of the military was certainly not positive in my parents' eyes. So somewhat of an anomaly in my family. I think I'm the only professional soldier in my family's history. But it was just, what else would I do? When I was 12 years old, my cousin, the guy I stole the army man from, <laughs> was in PPCL Army Cadets in Victoria. And when I found out, I was just 12 years old, that there's an organization, like kind of like scouts, where I get a uniform, they'll, they'll give me a gun, and they'll let me do army stuff and march around. It was my belonging. they go, put me in, coach. <laughs> Uh, that core was directly supported, oddly enough, by three PPCLI. Right. And so I guess the, the progression of the transition was pretty logical. So as I grew up and went through the cadet system, in, in my last year in high school, I joined the Army Reserves in 86 and moved ahead, moved to Vancouver, went to the Seaforth Highlanders for a couple of years. I think it's probably about a year and a half, then went straight to battle school in 1988. And that was a really interesting time. And gosh, I just sort of transitioned from there. So you said you joined in 88? I joined the reserves in November 86. And I was on, I guess, a leave without pay until my first parade, I think in January or February. And then I component transferred to the regulars in the fall of 1988. So what do you recall the world was like when you joined? Hmm. Seems a lot simpler. I don't know if that's a reflection of just the complexity of the coming down of the wall or age or I don't know what. It seemed far more simple. We had the good guys, which is our side, the of course the Warsaw Pact, and that was a, that would militarily that was how it seemed. We had a couple of hawks on our side, being Reagan and Nancy. Again, I didn't really know much about them at the time. I was nineteen or twenty years old or eighteen yep. or whatever time frame you're looking at. And that stuff didn't really matter to me. I just wanted to join the army. <laughs> Growing up in Victoria and joining from Victoria and, and then you know, later moving to Vancouver and getting in, the general opinion, as I perceived it to be, was frankly not supportive of the military. I don't ever recall the general consensus being good for you for joining the Army, for serving the country or anything like that. <laughs> Generally, I often felt like a second-class citizen, to be perfectly honest, being right. in the reserves and going to the regular Army. That has obviously changed significantly, I gosh, especially here in Alberta. But it's evolved and improved somewhat in Victoria as well, as I just had a post in there a couple of years ago. The general appeal towards the military is much better. So what were you like when you joined? I was young, immature, uh, <laughs> and uh, kind of foolish. I was young and immature. I think I come from a family of late bloomers, so all I wanted was to do Army stuff. I had very, very short vision. I didn't see anything past a couple of years. When I signed the dotted line for my initial three-year engagement, what happened was I joined from Vancouver and I didn't plan ahead. I didn't do anything. I didn't even know how to use, apply a claim despite my extensive experience, right, relatively speaking, in cadets and reserves. I left Vancouver with less than $3 in my pocket. I thought that everything would be taken <laughs> care of. I just got myself, I actually stopped at a friend's place, 
because I had to take public transit to get to the airport to fly to Edmonton to go to battle school. So I stopped, met a friend for coffee at his house, borrowed two bucks from him because I didn't have that, took the bus to the Vancouver airport, got on the plane, got off the plane in Edmonton and was expecting base transportation to be there, like interbase transportation right. service. So I sort of sat there for like an hour and no one showed up. But I was savvy enough to call the base and call base transport. And of course, the dispatcher was like, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> so I went, what happened was a steak truck was showing up in about three hours to do some other jobs. He said, yeah, just link up with this guy and he'll drive you back. So, so he picked me up. He drove me to the, to the north side there. And okay, he stopped, got off at base transport and they were done with me. <laughs> so then I had to wander around and find the base accommodations guy because I didn't have a visa. I didn't know that I could just claim or go to a hotel room, claim a room and stuff like this. And I was stuck there for three days. Right living in transient quarters, trying to figure out how I was going to get to Wainwright. <laughs> and eventually, I think I got a ride with the local reserve comm squadron to take me to Wainwright as I was staying almost illegally in transient quarters, sneaking into the shacks and with no money for smokes because I smoked at the time. <laughs> so it was kind of a, uh, an unglamorous start to my regular career. And when I did get to Wainwright, it was snowing out. And of course, being a kid from Victoria, Vancouver, this minus 20, minus 30 thing, I had absolutely no concept of. But anyway, you know, the, the bus full of reservists with this recruit doesn't know what he's doing or where he's going. He trundles off to Wainwright and just, again, stops in the middle of in the middle of a camp. All right, get out. I got off of my duffel bag. I looked around. I saw two people walking. I said, hey, I'm new here. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And so they dragged me off and introduced me to the master corporal. And, and that was sort of it. It was really clumsy and awkward start. <laughs> well, at least you didn't get jacked up by the duty sergeant like Greg Briggs did for using his initiative and getting in a cab and taking care of business. But mm. anyhow. Well, yeah, Greg would do something like that. Greg, yeah. <laughs> I, I think he probably had the better plan of the two. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What is your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement? I would say I distinguish between the two. And I would look at my most huge memory for me, as far as having an impact and influence, would be fighting the fires in 2003, to be perfectly honest. As far as straight up rewarding task and something that I've done that I could really feel that, wow, this is, this is important. This is something that I'm involved with is this domestic operation. Risk of going down a rabbit hole. I was in the reserves at the time because I left the regulars to get my commission and my degree. I was with the Canadian Scottish at the time. And I did the West Coast Trail with my brother. I came back. I called my wife as soon as I got off the trail. And she goes, yeah, your exercise is canceled. And they're gearing up to go fight fires in Cologne. I'm like, what? Got on the bus, blasted back to Victoria. I didn't go home, went straight to the armories. Yeah, the exercise is canceled. There's fires in Kelowna. And they're gearing all this stuff up. So fast forward a week or so or however many days it was, and I'm with some of the boys fighting the fire in downtown Kelowna. Wow. After, and how that came to be was, was pretty cool, but that was just so, so rewarding to do that. And having said, you know, I've got one tour in Bosnia and three in Afghanistan. So it's just to put that into perspective to how, wow, I'm out here helping Canadian citizens and doing something that important. I, that was really one that was pretty cool for me. As far as... Uh, so help me keep track of this. So I've got three units so far, one cadet organization. So how did this play out? You started <laughs> with three PPCLI cadets and then what happened? Well, 2483 PPCLI cadet. I joined the reserves, did GMT in Victoria, transferred to the C4th in Vancouver. Battle school. Did you have a unit for your GMT? Yes, 11th Service Battalion. Oh, I see. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but all I did was GMT. It's actually one of the hardest courses I took because they really beasted us. <laughs> Yeah, so gosh, do you just want to list a year or do you want the career? I normally summarize it by saying I have 27 years service to the Queen, of which eight are in the reserves. That's to make like a long story short, because right. I've served in five infantry regiments, wow. and I've gotten out twice. Although I've never technically broken service to the Queen, it's always been component transfers to the reserves. Mm -hmm. 
So for ease of not boring people, because <laughs> I served with the West, East Canadian Scottish, three years in the Airborne Regiment with two commando, kind of been around the block, I guess. And that's one of those things that what I said, you alluded to earlier that my family's some late bloomers because they didn't make up my mind for what I wanted to do for such a long time. Right. So I interrupted you. So you were going on to your greatest achievement or you were going to talk about something else? So- I was going to talk about, I guess, my greatest achievement. I just completed two years, two plus years as PCLI regimental major with my connection to the regiment starting, frankly, in 1982. That was just an absolute mind-blowing opportunity. My last posting was to Victoria. Great time to be posted back home and take a little break after five and a half years of slave labor with a third battalion or hard labor with a third battalion. I wasn't in Victoria for too long before deciding, okay, I got to get back to the field army and do something important and interesting to get back into things. So when it was time to come back, I talked to the ERE rep, extra regimentally employed guy, the guy who looks after Patricia officers and senior NCOs who are not attached to the units. I want to go back and I want a fairly high profile, I'm looking for a high profile job in battalion at brigade headquarters and this or that. He says, Roger, I'll get back to you. He comes back but a week later he says yeah okay um how about regimental major and it's like uh yes yes absolutely completely took me by surprise ostensibly the rn's position is the senior major's job in the regiment not by any way to suggest that Slade, me, and many senior or was senior to many of the outstanding majors across the regiment, the DCOs and so on and so forth. But we're just looking at that position itself. So I was absolutely blown away that the regiment would consider me for that. And it didn't even sink in until sometime later that, hey, wait a minute, the 100th anniversary is coming up. Right. And they want me as the RM for the 100th, which was a big deal, as I mentioned. General Crabb and, and the regimental leadership just did a staggering amount of work to make this thing come through. And for the guys who are still in, they had their day jobs. The 1st Battalion was gearing up for on the road to high readiness right. during the last year. So they had a heck of a lot on their plates while pulling off this great thing. So to be selected as regimental majors, even now I think like, wow, what a great job. I sort of summarize that job as responsible for regimental stewardship. I've heard about Hamilton Galt. I knew our regimental march. I knew Lady Patricia when I was 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. To suddenly be the person who, among many other things, to be responsible for the annual journal, the patrician, the director of the regimental museum, and the archives. Just amazing. And again, to say, wow, now for the 100th anniversary, the, the, the aide-de-camp for our colonel-in-chief, Madam Adrian Clarkson. Wow. Hmm. Just absolutely staggering. Yeah. Even now, I, I think over the next couple of years, it'll probably sink in more the significance. Right of what I was able to do for that. Just quite humbling that I was chosen. And, you know, and by all accounts, I didn't get fired from the <laughs> job. And, uh, my, my boss had told me they're happy with the work. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I must have did things right, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That would be disastrous. Being fired yeah, as yeah. a regimental major on the 100th anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be clear, there was an anniversary office that was opened up led by Major Harpel Mandahar and Manny, and he was the hub of doing the hundreds, whereas I still do responsible for routine regimental tasks and duties. So I wasn't doing all that stuff. My workload was, of course, increased by that, but the bull section of the work was certainly done by other people and indeed other offices. Well, it certainly seems to have panned out because I know that there wasn't a moment I didn't get some sort of info, infographic or exposure about the 100th anniversary. And well done to you and your team. Thank you very much. Sir, who is your greatest influence, or who is the most memorable character that you've encountered? Greg Briggs, because he's <laughs> forefront on my mind. <laughs> no, uh, Greg, Greg's fantastic guy. No, I think one of the first guys that really had a significant influence on me is a guy named Dave Kosh. He was a Master Corporal in Two Commando when I got there as a, you know, as a 20-year-old immature kid. Dave, his core fundamental professionalism and manner of leadership is something that I still try and emulate today. Just no compromise with regards to professionalism. 
And he was always reasonable about how he managed that when mentoring some new kid. Right. I'd suggest that. Since then, I mean, it's, it has been a long time. That was 1989 when I first met him. I've come across a lot, a lot of just amazing leaders and people through my time in the Canadian Forces. My time as regimental major gave me a lot of face time with some of the senior leadership in the regiment. Absolutely. And to see them work on a different plane, whereas before as a junior officer in a battalion or as a rifleman or a master corporal or something like this, I didn't see very much and just sort of saw the business end of their thing. But my first meeting as RM, sitting in on a guard meeting, PCLI guard meeting, and a, a regimental executive committee meeting, one thing that I walked away with was was absolutely blown away by how much attention and interest and focus was given to to the soldiers. When they're talking about regimental business, you know, this is two, three years ago for leading into the 100th, for example, the common theme was, okay, this is the schedule for this day. How will this schedule work for number one rifleman in the first guard? Will he have time to do X, Y, and Z? Or will this soldier and his family be treated well? What can we do for them? And that was so forefront in their minds. And I saw it as a consistent theme throughout these leaders that not that I didn't expect it, but when you actually see it, you see seriously how much effort they put into it. Right. It was impressive and something that I am working on following suit with, I suppose. Right. Another amazing thing that I saw as far as people that I hold in high regard, and this is a, <laughs> kind, of, kind of generic, but um, was the troops. When I was with the Canadian Scottish platoon commander, and I can't remember what year it was, we were just wrapping up the year's training. And as you know, at the end, things shut down for the, for the summer. I had one of my troops come up to me and say, sir, you know, we, we want to keep training over the summer. We want to keep doing stuff. And we don't want to sit on our duff because these guys, for whatever reason, I think some of, most of them had just gotten back from deployment and were ineligible to go away to Wayne right for the summer. But th- there was a fair amount of guys. And I said, okay, you're serious about this? And he said, yep. Yeah. I said, all right, boys, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put together a schedule of just cool training things to do, low impact stuff that we don't have time to do throughout the training year. We're focusing on a 90 minute lesson on battle procedure where we can really get into the weeds on stuff or principles of leadership or pull up the fifties and stuff like this. And I said, you guys understand the limitations because there's a lot that we can't do, but we can do some stuff. And these guys are like, yeah, 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 yeah. And the first night, we don't play sports, and then we think we did battle procedure. But we had 26 dudes show up. Wow. On average, throughout the summer, we had something like 16. Right. And that had me go like, wow, this is the privilege to lead that I've got guys like that who, without being paid, want to come down and enhance their skills and just hang out and be with their friends and make themselves better. So that was one of those times where, ah, okay, I get this stuff now. Yeah, if I can go back to something you said earlier, you had mentioned that the leadership was interested in the perspective of the riflemen on the parade square during the celebration. And I can remember as the RSM of the Toronto Scottish, when I planned the consecration and presentation of colors for the Royal Regiment of Canada and the Toronto Scottish, that was key on my mind. And one of the tricks I used was at the conclusion of the parade, I had all the soldiers on the parade field ground arms and walk away from their rifles and have members of the service battalion collect the rifles so that the troops who were being recognized with brand new colors would be able to enjoy the reception and visit with their colonel-in-chief, while members who were not engaged from yeah. the service battalion would be able to ply their trade, recovering and returning weapons as logisticians. So I echo your point there as well. That is exactly the philosophy. I think that's one of the great things about our business and our trade is that it fosters that interest and that the interest to take care of the men. <laughs> it, yeah. Now, sir, I can't leave you with this dangling thread from the beginning of the question, because the question is... Who is the most memorable character that you've encountered? And you started with Greg Briggs, but you left that thread hanging. So why does Greg Briggs become a memorable character? And perhaps there are others that you would like to talk about as well. Oh, gosh. Well, um, 
Greg and, Greg and I served in recce platoon in the 2nd Battalion, and from the highways and byways of my career, I got to look at my three years in the 2nd Battalion as my favorite three years in the Army, because I just had a great time, because I spent most of it in recce platoon. Greg, there was a lot of characters in recce platoon, and just uh, I, and I remember <laughs> what Greg, Greg Briggs would do. And that, it's been so long, I don't remember the context as much, but I just remember Greg Briggs going, Be quiet! Be quiet! Be quiet! <laughs> when all kinds of other stuff is going on, and... Uh, yeah. And that's one of the, Greg, Greg, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And that's one of those running jokes in, in, in Mackie platoon for a while. But he was, we had a fantastic group of guys. He was one of those guys who was there for quite a while. And as far as performance was concerned, an absolute rock, the rock star just was always there. If you had Greg on your side, you, you were good to go. Yeah. But you know what it's like in the CF. There's so many characters to meet throughout your career. Well, they're what makes going to work worthwhile. I <laughs> mean, Absolutely. I was talking to one of my friends just the other day. He said, going to work is kind of like being in high school. You just go to work and you hang out with your friends and you do some stuff and you're not doing anything. You're just hanging out in the hallways kind of thing, which kind of isn't far from the truth when we're in garrison kind of doing nothing. Another guy, Barry Renwick, we were talking a while back and he said, his kid was saying, Dad, after after work, you never socialize. You don't do anything. He said, well, I do all my socializing at work. (laughs) All my friends are at work. So, and while he and I were talking about that, I was socializing because I've known Barry for, you know, 20 plus years. Right. And we're just sort of hanging out and we're talking, we're first, first and foremost talking work, but it always segues into social stuff. And that's one of the things that's actually necessary for an army to succeed is for everyone to be that connected together. Absolutely. So let's move on to the final question. What was the greatest challenge that you had to overcome? I don't know. I, uh, I didn't have a note for that one. To be edited out, I'd say, honestly, my, my biggest challenge is actually bloody well progressing in the Canadian forces. I've been very unlucky. unlucky. I mean, you remember the pay freezes and promotion freezes of the late 80s, or early 90s? Yeah. So it took me eight years to get my leaf as a troop. Wow. I applied for UTPNCM three times. Each time was accepted with no positions available. So I had to get out of the regular army, go to the reserves to get my degree, to get my commission, then come back in. Now I'm back in, and to get promoted to major, I've done two WSC majors, to include one for deployment. Without French points, you ain't going to get it. Right. So I don't think that segment really fits in because it's frankly, it's hard to sell that as positive because I kind of grit my teeth when doing it and having to, it's a big piece of humble pie to suddenly, after being the RM and connecting to everybody, walk around as a captain. Yeah, boys, I'm still a captain. <laughs> but it's important to do it without anybody saying that it actually does <laughs> piss me off. <laughs> but I don't let it grind me down. So just, frankly, the glass ceilings of it is what I'd say. You know, trying to think of what my greatest challenge to overcome is beyond that. Well, challenges like that is where we prove our loyalty to the chain of command and to our regiment and to our cap badge and to our unit. Yeah, it stresses us out, makes us anxious, and yeah. we see other people advance and we make an assessment, whether our assessment is accurate or inaccurate, or we know everything that's going on. But then at the end of it all, we prove our loyalty by soldiering on and not letting it drag us down and not allowing it to demoralize us. I think you're absolutely right there. And my bosses, and I say I use a plural because uh, the regimental executive committee were the guys who were guiding things and still the CEOs of the battalions right now are the ones who are sort of shaping my next few years or with everybody else. All have told me, like, this is a numbers game and this is just the way it is. Don't fight the whites. My regiment has is attached posted me to the French course as opposed to uh, giving me credits and stuff like this. So what that means is that the third battalion is doing without an officer for a year so I can get the numbers that I need to get promoted because they want me to get promoted. Right. 
So the big army policy is immovable, but the regiment is like, we got to get this guy promoted. And, and that is definitely a positive. And I kind of go, wow, that's great. I work for some really fantastic people who want me to succeed. And obviously not just me, many other people as well. So what's next for you, sir? What do you envision upcoming? You said that you're on the French language course. Do you have any projects that you're working on personally or otherwise? Personal project? No. My past to Tampa right now is working on my French after hours being from Victoria. It's a bit of an uphill fight. You don't have that foundation. But once we wrap this up, I'll be, the plan is, is that I'll be going back to 3PPC a lot and my home battalion to continue my fourth posting to the third battalion. Consider myself quite lucky for that. And we'll see what the boss wants to do with me from there. I know they want to keep me around for a little while. And that's one thing I'm really quite happy to do is serve. I really want to get back to the battalion, back to doing the business end of uh, end of the job. The regimental major job was fantastic. The job in Victoria was a great opportunity for some family time, but it's really difficult to be away from the field army and the soldiering and core leadership. So I, I'm actually quite excited about that. Sounds like it. Yeah. What would you like to say just to summarize your episode and wrap up? I'd say that I think I've got just about the best job in the world. I'm an infantry officer. I'm in the Patricias. I've served here for a really long time. I have few, if any, regrets. I get to lead soldiers who want to be led in the best army in the world and top that. (laughs) Well, sir, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to be a guest on the show. It's always a pleasure to not only talk to you as a guest, but also talk to you as a listener, which is great. And to know that you were instrumental in helping me get this project off the ground. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, It has been my pleasure and best of luck with this program. Great. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at mikelacroixcmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike LaCroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defense. This is a Mike LaCroix Production.